Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Welcome again to Directional Bible Ministries. Today is April the 22nd. Today we are going to continue our study in the book of Daniel, and this will be session four. So Daniel session four. Last time we were together, we got down to Daniel chapter number two, uh, pretty much had wrapped up the entire chapter, but I just want to back up maybe to verse 31 just to kind of fill in the blanks, and then we'll move forward from there. So Daniel chapter two, verse number 31, you'll remember uh, Daniel was called before the king to not only tell the king exactly what he dreamed, but what the dream meant. Of course, the the other wise guys in the kingdom, they wanted to know, they wanted the king to tell them first what he dreamed, and then they would give him the interpretation. But the dream, but the king being pretty wise, he said, no, nah, if you tell me what I dreamed, then I'll know of a surety that your interpretation is right. So, of course, the wise men said no man in the kingdom can do that. And of course, uh, news got back to Daniel and his friends. And they went to the Lord and said, just give us a little bit of time. And the Lord revealed to them exactly what the king had dreamed and the interpretation. So word was sent back to the king and Daniel and his friends were called before the king. Now in Daniel chapter 2, verse number 31, Daniel 2, uh, verse number 31, we see, Thou, king, sawest and behold a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. So, from this point on, uh, we'll study this great Im image, uh, which has to do with what we call uh, the Gentile Age, which began with the fall of Jerusalem um, to Babylon in 600 uh, BC, and will continue right on down until the times of the Gentiles ends, which I believe will be with the removal of the church. Um, and then, of course, uh, Daniel's 70th week will begin. Uh, though I do not believe necessarily that we need to be looking for signs, certainly there are things uh, that point to uh, the possible end of the Gentile age. I think the most uh, important of these was the restoration of Israel as a nation in March of 1948. That was a fulfillment, in my opinion, of Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. And I, I'm not alone in that assumption at all. Uh, but naturally, when, when Israel was removed from their land by the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles began... And, of course, uh, that will run on down until God once again focuses on um, the Jewish people. Now, that could have ended, uh, like I've said before, could have, would have, should have ended uh, at Christ's first advent. And, of course, the Messiah was rejected. The kingdom he came to offer was rejected. Uh, so we're still in it. So it's going to run all the way down until the church is removed. Um, I also believe that a, that a second sign was, um, 
when Jerusalem was liberated uh, from Gentile control in 1967 in what has come to be known as the Six-Day War. Um, again, this may or may not uh, be a fulfillment of Luke uh, 21:24, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And of course, that will be, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda been, but it's not. It'll be fulfilled one day yet future. So today, Israel is an independent nation. So I think that's a sign. Uh, but, um, you know, Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given unto it, except as the prophet Jonas, three days, three nights. So I don't think we need to be looking for signs. Now, the Jews, they look for signs. The Bible says the Jews demand sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. Um, and, and of course there were a lot of the sign gifts at Pentecost were for the Jews. Uh, it was to show them that the kingdom was legitimately being offered. It was on the table if they would accept it and they did not. So therefore, once they rejected it, you know, the signs that accompanied the offer left with it. Um, that seems like just a fast little general statement, but it has tremendous applications if you begin to study it. Uh, especially in regards to the various denominations that are built around uh, the Acts 2 uh, model today. So something to think about. And then in verse 32, um, when it talks about uh, the king's the, the image of fine gold, and the image, um, image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron, part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut without hands, which smote the image upon the feet that were of iron and clay, and break them, break them in pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became great, and it filled the whole earth. Now, so here we see, <clears throat> here is the image that is made out of gold, it's made out of silver, it's made out of brass, it's made out of iron, and it's made out of clay. And of course, I showed you guys a picture last week that pretty accurately depicts this. You see the head of gold, and then you see um, the, the silver uh, in, the, uh, in the chest and the arms, and then we see um, the brass, we see the iron. And then we see the iron and the clay in the feet. So this is the image uh, that this is the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And that was pretty important because the king wasn't going to listen to anybody until they could tell him exactly uh, what was in his dream. Now, in verse number 36, it says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven, I'm sorry, this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So now, now Daniel begins his interpretation. Um, and then we get down into verse 37. Thou, o king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and glory, strength. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, hath given into thine hand hath made thee ruler over them all, thou art the head of gold. So, very clearly here, Daniel, in his interpretation of the dream, says that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Babylon, is represented by uh, 
the head of gold. Then we get down into verse number 39 of the dream. And he says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. So we know that historically, after the fall of Babylon, uh, came kingdoms that were inferior to Babylon. That meant in might, majesty, power, control, how much they ruled. Uh, came the the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, and many see the arms representing the Medes and the Persians coming together uh, to conquer Babylon. And then after the Medes and the Persians... Uh, the Medo-Persian Empire fell to Greece under Alexander the Great. So here we see further interpretation of the statue of the dream. And then look in verse number 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron breaketh all these shall it break pieces and bruise. So now we come to this fourth um, empire that's as strong as iron, and it subdueth all things. So this is the Roman Empire. Rome's power began around 150 BC. It ran until about 450 AD when finally the barbarians broke the power and the authority of Rome. And she, like uh, Babylon, Persian, Greece, disintegrated. Um, something unique, though, about the Roman disintegration that was very unique from the Medo-Persian or the Greek uh, disintegration is that Rome fell politically, but it did not fall spiritually. You see the two legs, just as the arms represent the Medes and the Persian, the two legs represent Rome, but many believe that one leg represents political Rome, which, of course, in 450 disintegrated. But the other leg represents spiritual Rome, which did not disintegrate. Uh, spiritual Rome still exists to this day um, through the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, religious Rome is still very much alive, um, headed by the Pope, uh, the Vatican, uh, Vatican City headed by Rome, many see, again, these two legs represent political and spiritual Rome, which would make sense because it still continues to run down into the toes. So Rome is still very much coursing through uh, this image, if you will. Now look over in, uh, in verse number 41, and whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of of potter's clay and part of iron. See, the iron's still there. The kingdom shall be divided, but, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou saw it, the iron mixed with the clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron, part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave unto one another, even as iron 
is not mixed with clay. Now, notice that this empire, which represents the feet, is made up of Rome mixed in with a little clay. What does this mean? To me, um, and many, it means that there will be what's called a revived Roman Empire uh, in the future. Rome will, will come up out of the ashes. Uh, the book of Revelation speaks of this. Uh, in Revelation chapter number 17, for example, and we can take a look at that real quickly. Um, Revelation chapter number 17 and verse number 10 and 12. I told you guys to look at this last time. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, one is and the other is not yet come, and when he comes he must continue a short space and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth. But he comes from the seven and goeth into perdition. And then, of course, the ten horns, which represents the ten kings. That's another study for another day, but that's referring to the ten toes that we see on that statue there. But let's back up. It says there are seven kings. Okay, now we understand these seven kings to be Egypt, Assyria, and then picking up with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, um, and Rome. And it says, five of these have fallen. Now, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece have all fallen. And one is. Of course, when John penned the book of the Revelation, the existing empire was Rome, which is represented by the two legs. And the other is not yet come, which is referring to uh, the ten kings or the ten toes that revive Roman Empire. And when he comes, he must continue a short space. In other words, that kingdom will not last for very long because the beast, which is referring to the Antichrist, he will make himself the eighth. Of course, he came up out of the seven. So... We see here in the book of Revelation, one day we'll get over there again, um, these, this is referred to. So five. there are seven kings, five have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, fallen. One is, which is Rome. The other is not yet come, referring to the revived Roman Empire. But he's not going to last long. And the beast, the Antichrist, he will become the eighth because he will come up out of the seven. So that's another study for another day. Um, but suffice it to say that the, the Roman Empire is represented by these legs, and um, out of these legs will come the revived Roman Empire, which won't last for very long, because the Antichrist will come from that, and he himself will become the eighth. So... And then, of course, we know how that ends, because <clears throat> if you look down in verse number 44 of Daniel chapter uh, chapter 3, and let's get back there real quick, uh, Daniel 3 and uh, Daniel 2, I'm sorry, Daniel 2 verse 44, it says, 
And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, in verse 40, 43, they shall mingle themselves, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay, which speaks to the fact that this revived Roman Empire will not last for very long because you can't mingle iron with clay. It won't stick. And in those days, in the days of these kings, referring to the ten toes that Revelation 17 looks to, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it will break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So obviously these kings is referring to the ten toes that's mentioned over in the book of Revelation. And of course you'll remember from our our, our little uh, drawing here, we see this, this rock that will come, the kingdom of God, if you will, will come and destroy all these kingdoms. <clears throat> so anyway, that's a pretty good little... Uh, diagram there. So these kings refers to the ten kings in the previous verses. Uh, the Bible teaches that in the tribulation days, the Roman Empire will rise up out of the dust under the leadership of the Antichrist, who's revealed in Revelation 13, verse number one. Now, many believe that uh, the European community is the beginning of the fulfillment of this. Well, before that, they believe that the League of Nations uh, but either way, I think certainly these things are pointing to a the revived Roman Empire in some way, shape, or form. It may or may not be, but the important thing to take away here is that at the end of this final world empire, God will set up his kingdom. Uh, the Lord will return. I believe this speaks of the second coming in Revelation chapter number 19, the second advent, and he will establish his kingdom, which will never end. And of course, that's spoken of there in verse 45 when it says, for as much as the stone that was cut without hands is going to come and it's going to break in pieces, the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, the gold. Uh, for God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. So, so, so chapter number two, and, and I guess just kind of a wrap up, uh, gives us the human viewpoint on the Gentile powers um, through this great image, through the statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Um, and then later on in our study, we're going to see these four again uh, through, these, through wild beasts. So some would say, and we'll get, when we get there, we'll talk about it, that chapter 2 gives the human viewpoint, while chapter 7 gives the spiritual or the divine viewpoint. But either way, when you put these two chapters together, you get a complete picture of the times of the Gentiles. And the times of the Gentiles you know, will eventually end with the removal of the church, and Daniel's 70th week will pick up again. There's something else that people point out in regards uh, to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that I find interesting as well, and that is that notice that the quality of the metals decreases, but the strength of the metal increases. So you go from gold, which is a very soft metal, and if you have a ring or a high school ring or a wedding band, it doesn't take long. It begins to show wear. It'll eventually disappear if you keep you'll wear it out. 
naturally, I mean, the silver is tougher than gold, brass is tougher than silver, and iron is tougher than all of them. So some people will notice the quality of the metal decreases, the quality, because naturally gold is the most expensive. So the quality of the metals begin to decrease until you end up with clay. But the strength of the metals increase until you end up with clay. So you go from gold to silver to brass or bronze to iron. Um, and some people see a symbolism there. Uh, that the autocratic control of the kingdoms will decrease while the military strength of the kingdoms will increase. So when we say the autocratic control, um, the Medes were never as powerful as Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, just like he said, you are above all. Uh, his, uh, his autocratic control, I mean, he had no one reigned in Nebuchadnezzar. He did what he wanted to. But by the time we get to the Medes and the Persians, uh, you'll remember that Daniel trying to get out of the lion's den, the king was unable to uh, give Daniel a pass because the decree had already been made. So obviously he was not a, an incomplete control like Nebuchadnezzar would have been. So again, I mean, it's speculation, but some people believe that uh, the autocratic control of the kingdoms will decrease while the military strength of each kingdom will increase. And there's no doubt that the Roman legions were a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they conquer, conquered the entire known world, but yet at the same time, even the emperors were replaced at times. Uh, so, anyway, it's just something um, to think about there. Now, notice King Nebuchadnezzar's response in verse number 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel. That was not a good move. And commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. And the king answered and, Dan and said unto Daniel, Of a truth it is that your God is the God of gods, the Lord, the king, is the revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he set Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of ba Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So here in these verses, we see that Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed with Daniel's interpretation that he decided to make him ruler over the province of Babylon and over all the wise men in Babylon. In other words, he was promoted to number one wise man in the entire kingdom. Uh, and then, of course, Daniel says, well, what about my friends? And, of course, uh, the king, uh, Daniel, was able to set him over all the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel was the one that sat in the gate. Uh, so as a result of Daniel's courage, the king honored Daniel. Uh, he honored Daniel's God. Uh, he rewarded Daniel. He promoted Daniel. And he rewarded Daniel's friends. So the phrase, Daniel sat in the gate of the king, means that he served as a ruler in the king's cabinet or government. 
to sit in the gate back then meant that you were a very prominent person. You were in a, a prominent place of authority in the city. Uh, you'll remember in, Dan, in, Jan, in uh, Genesis chapter number 19, verse number 1, after Lot had went into Sodom, uh, that we find later that Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And what that meant was Lot had risen to a place of prominence in Sodom. Matter of fact, when the men circle the house and they say, you know, who made you a ruler over us? Who are you to come in? Daniel, I mean, uh, Lot had obviously risen to a place of authority, um, just like Daniel. Uh, so in conclusion, God used Daniel to change the king's heart, his mind, his will. Um, and Daniel prayed uh, to God and then told the king, the truth. And that's what we need today, people that will pray for our leaders and tell them the truth. Um, and then God took care of the rest. Uh, Daniel just cast everything on his God, and God took care of him. God delivered him. Now, we're going to find later, here in chapter number three, that you know, just because God takes care of you doesn't mean he's going to take care of you in the way that you want to be taken care of. Uh, so let's go ahead and just do a little introduction and get into chapter 3. This chapter, chapter number 3, is full of what we call foreshadowing or typology. Um, a type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. Uh, for example, uh, the flood in Noah's day, remember the flood in Genesis 6 and 7, is used as a type of baptism by Peter. Um, Peter, in, um, in 1 Peter 3, 20, he says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a, was a preparing, wherein few, that is, only eight souls were saved by water, which is in like figure unto baptism doth now also save us, not putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So uh, Peter was quick to point out the fact that just as the flood had cleansed the world from sin, so baptism represents a spiritual cleansing from sin. See, that's typology. Um, again, uh, a type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. I guess you could also say a person, thing, or event. A person or thing or event in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing or event in the New Testament. So, the types in this chapter uh, foreshadow the resistance of the Jews to the worship of the Antichrist and during Daniel's 70th week. Um, because what we're going to see in this chapter is we're going to see we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a foreshadowing or a type of the Antichrist. Uh, we're going to see the three Hebrews. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which we 
refer more commonly to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these will represent the Jews during the tribulation, specifically the 144,000, and how God will supernaturally protect them during the tribulation. And then the golden image is a foreshadow or a type of the image that the Antichrist will set up in the rebuilt Jewish temple and command that the world worship it, just like Nebuchadnezzar is going to do here um, with the people of Babylon, and of course, including the Jews that were there. And then the fiery furnace here um, is a foreshadowing or type of the actual tribulation period, the heat, when the heat gets turned up. And then Daniel, many see Daniel, um, and... While I would have taught this uh, much more dogmatically, I'm, I'm open to um, maybe not, but many people see Daniel as a type of the church uh, and that the church will not be around uh, for the Great Tribulation period uh, because the church is going to be raptured out. The church is actually what unlocks, if you will, the Great Tribulation or at least allows it to happen. I mean, there's an indeterminate amount of time between the time when the rapture takes place and when Daniel's 70th week actually begins. Uh, we don't know how much time there is. And, and somehow between the time of the rapture of the church uh, and the time uh, the tribulation actually begins, there's going to have to be a covenant that's signed, a peace treaty or something, if you will, that Daniel refers to in Daniel 9. So how long it's going to take for that to actually happen, we don't know. So there is an indeterminate amount of time between the rapture and when Daniel's week or the tribulation actually actually begins. So uh, many people see Daniel as a type of the church, uh, even though, you know, and, and the reason I'm a little hesitant there, I mean, I, th I th it seems to fit. Uh, it's just um, I'm, I'm totally over that uh, the Old Testament is talking about the church in any way. Uh, the Old Testament is prophetic for the nation of Israel. Um, I mean, if we do find anything in there that's kind of uh, hinting toward it, it's not obvious uh, because the church was a mystery that was hidden that was only and uniquely revealed to the Apostle Paul. So, I mean, the fact that it was hidden means that it couldn't be found. So if we look at Daniel and go, oh, see, he's a type of the church. Well, we might be able to say that now because we've already got the mystery that was hidden that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. But is Daniel a represent the church and that Daniel wasn't here? You know, I mean, it sounds good, uh, though I'm not going to hang my head on that totally, but it sounds good. So let's go ahead and uh, read verses 1 through 7, and we'll see how far we get uh, in regards uh, to... Uh, Daniel chapter 3, uh, verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was threescore cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura, in the plain of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent together together the princes, the governors and the captains, the judges and the treasurers and the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now notice he brought the princes and the governors. So that tells us that Daniel and his friends 
should have been there. The princes and the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together in the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a loud, a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and language, that at the time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down, worship the image that the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So here we see, in response to the dream, Nebuchadnezzar made a golden image. Um, now, whether this was an exact representation of his dream or of himself, uh, we do not know. Um, but the thing that amazes me is how quickly King Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten the God of Daniel. <laughs> because you'll remember back in chapter 2, uh, verses 46 through 47, King Nebuchadnezzar is singing the praises when he says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation, sweet odors, to him, and answered and said, Of a truth, it is that your God is the God of gods. And now, King Nebuchadnezzar is making a statue of himself. <laughs> for all the people to worship. So how quickly he had forgotten uh, the God of Daniel, for sure. So now let's look in, in verse number in verse number 8. Daniel 3, verse number 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake unto King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever and ever. Thou, king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that, that he should be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And notice they name specifically by their Babylonian names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, obviously, Daniel is not mentioned. So Daniel is not here. Maybe he was away for affairs of state, but that's why people would see Daniel as a foreshadowing and a type of the, of the church. These men, O king, have not regarded thee, they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was in, in his rage and fury commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they brought these men before the king. So, to my knowledge, in the Bible, this is the first time that we see civil disobedience. Um, were they justified in their refusal to bow? Many would ask. I mean, after all, the Bible does 
speak in strong language in regards to being obedient to those whom God has set up over us, even those people we don't like. Uh, for example, in Colossians 3.22, you know, it says, Servants, obey your masters in all things, you know, not with just eye service, as men pleasers, but with a singleness of heart, fearing God, knowing that God is the one that set that person up over you. Also in Hebrews 13.17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be very unprofitable for you. So the Bible seems to clearly indicate that we need to obey the rulers that God has set over us. But is there a line in regards to that obedience? Well, obviously there is, because the apostles in Acts 5.29 when they were told not to preach anymore in this name, they said we ought to obey God rather than men. So the apostles were going to commit an act of civil disobedience, just like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego did. So obviously, by their example, there are times when God must be placed first in our lives and civil disobedience becomes necessary. Now, we as a nation, <laughs> um, you know, I think there's going to come a time where you just, you can't do it. You know, for example, if somebody said you can't preach the Word of God anymore, or it's going to be hate speech, it's going to be a hate crime, you know, what's the church going to do? You know, already, you know, there's hate speech um, that, make no mistake about it, is aimed at curtailing the teaching of the Word of God on the issues of homosexuality first and foremost. That's what it's designed for. That's the whole issue of the minority status uh, that is trying to be given uh, to that specific group so that they it can be considered hate speech. Um, so... Um, there is a time for disobedience. There is a time for civil disobedience, for sure. So, well, I think my time has about got away from me. Um, next time we get together, we're going to pick up in verse number 15. And when Nebuchadnezzar says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Obviously, the king had forgotten you know, the God of Daniel. Uh, he was feeling pretty good about himself. So we'll talk about that next time. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great week. Remember that God loves you. He wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good. Until next time.